Hello there, and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Ahead on this edition of the podcast, it's Dean DeWalney of the Halftime Institute providing a challenge to live a more significant life. Then from the 2017 CBA Unite event in Cincinnati, it's filmmaker Thomas Purifoy bringing some insight into information consistent with the biblical account of origins. Also, it's Steve Green, who has an impressive track record in business, including media, offering some perspective on leadership and its connection to love and humility. That's from a CBA Unite conversation. Plus, joining me at that convention was Athena Dean Holtz, who has significant experience in the Christian publishing industry. However, she reached a desperate point in her life a few years back, and God showed his faithfulness to her during a course correction. And on this edition of The Intersection, material from a recent conversation with Andy Bowersox of Energize Ministries, who recently completed the annual bus tour called the Pray for Your Pastor Tour. You'll find out more about what he was up to. Then more conversation from the CBA Unite 2017 convention in Cincinnati with Jeff Dixon. He pastors in the Orlando area and is quite familiar with Walt Disney World. Various aspects of Disney have influenced his approach to writing and ministry. Some comments from him ahead. And from the organization Citizens for Self-Governance, some comments from Mark Meckler, who allows his relatively newfound faith in Christ to inform his work to influence policy matters. Finally, you'll be hearing from Austin Ruse of the Center for Family and Human Rights, or CFAM, as he talks about some of the concerning trends relative to science that contradict a biblical worldview. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Dean Niewalny is the CEO of the Halftime Institute and has written a new book called Trade Up, How to Move from Just Making Money to Making a Difference. He provides some insight into developing a more significant life from a recent conversation. This is Dean Niewalny. Halftime used to be this uh, age demographic of 45 to 60. Well, interestingly enough, over the years, it's really become a season of life. We have folks as young as 23 and as old as 83 going through the program. And it's really when folks get to this season of life, like I did in, in 2006, in 2006 for me anyway, I was looking out of my high-rise window and, and just saying to the Lord, Lord, there has to be more to life than this. And I call that season this season of smoldering discontent. And I think many people get to that season in their life where the next pat on the back, the next promotion, the next car, the next um, who knows what, the next toy just isn't as important. So what we are finding is that the age demographic is actually moving to a much younger age. Millennials now want to go and make a difference right now. This idea of going from success to significance, it's like, hey, listen, I love the idea of being successful, but I want to be successful and significant right now. Tell me why it is that you wrote the book. You know, I wrote the book because after getting to halftime, I started to think back to my days in the marketplace. I was in the financial services world. And I would see folks all over the country just scurrying around, trying to figure out how to do the next deal or get the next promotion. And what they were really missing, in my opinion, was what we call God's Ephesians 2.10 calling on their life, where it says, we are God's workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared beforehand. And my beliefs and in our belief here at the Halftime Institute, and the reason I wrote Trade Up, is that when folks really take time to assess what are my strengths and what are my passions and, and what are my spiritual gifts and what has got sweet spot for my life, when they take the time to do that and really make eye contact with God and get their assignment from God, at that point is when really they're going to begin living this life of joy, impact, and balance. And we see many folks who come through the Halftime Institute that on the outside, they look like they have it all together. But deep down underneath, they're not really connected to what God's true calling is on their life. And in, and in many cases, it's not a huge shift. It's not this necessarily this idea of going from the marketplace to the ministry. Actually, 70% of folks who go through halftime stay right where they're at. But it's a little bit of a course correction. It's a little bit of, of getting a better understanding that maybe your ministry is right in front of you. So I wrote the book for those folks who are really in this season trying to think through how can I make a difference in the issues that Jesus cares about and how can I have more impact in the kingdom? As I understand it, when you speak to groups, you have what you call the three disruptive questions. Tell me what those are and how they work. Well, as you know, my background was in business, so they have to, you know, they, they have a kind of a business bent to them. But the first question I like to ask has to do with cost accounting, and it really pertains to everyone. And that is, what is all your winning costing you? What is all your winning costing you? And it's time, when, when I ask that question, what I'm really asking is, all your winning is costing you something. It's costing you maybe your relationship with your spouse. It may be costing you your health. It may be costing you your faith. It may be costing you your relationship with your kids. What is it for you? For me, it was costing me my relationship with my wife and with my kids. The second question I like to ask has to do with asset protection. What do you have that is priceless and what are you doing to protect that? So when you look at your life, What's priceless? Your faith, your spouse, your kids, your health. What is it for you and what are you doing to take time to protect that, to make sure that continues to be priceless and valued? And then the third question I ask has to do with, with met metrics. But the question really is, if you were living the perfect life two years from now, what would that look like? Dean Walney here on The Intersection. Learn more by visiting the website tradeupbook.com. Well, from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2017 CBA Unite Convention in Cincinnati, Thomas Purifoy, producer, director, and writer of the film Is Genesis History, discussed the presentation, which includes scientists presenting evidence consistent with the biblical account of creation. From that CBA Unite conversation, this is Thomas Purifoy. So science and faith are not worlds apart, as perhaps people have that perception. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting, even when you start to look at the history, even of that idea, that idea that there's a 
you know, a war between faith yeah. and, uh, and science. That actually was an idea that came out of the late 19th century. It's, it was literally a book that was written with that title. And even a guy like Stephen Jay Gould, an evolutionist, no friend necessarily of Christianity, points out that that's just false. That when you have guys like Newton and uh, Maxwell and um, other great scientists that had no problem saying that, well, of course, and there was a God that made all this. In fact, that's why it makes so much sense, that science is really just the understanding of the natural world that God has made. And as I think it was in Whitehead that said, Christianity gives us the worldview that enables science. You only see science happening in the Christian West because of the way they view the world. Mm. Well, give us an, an overview, and we've, we've talked about this, this with Dr. Tackett in the past, but you've got so many different scientists that are part of this overall framework of his Genesis history. So take us through some of the different scientists and types of science that are represented in this product. Sure. We spend a lot of time at the beginning of the film with geology, primarily because geology is what is based time on. So we have a guy like Steve Austin, who is a sedimentologist. His area is dealing with the soft rocks. This is and not so, the wrestler. No, that's correct. That's exactly right. And nor the guy that the, the, the famous Steve the Austin, million the $6 million dollar man. man. That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> although apparently he used to have on his uh, answer machine, he would talk about the Steve's $6 million man as if he was him. So oh. Steve got a great sense of humor. Great. But he's been over 200 times out of the Grand Canyon, and he looks at the layers and is able to discuss all these layers. We ha- look at... Uh, we moved from Steve Austin to a guy like um, Andrew Snelling. And Andrew Snelling's a hard rock geologist, and he's dealing with radioisotopes and other things like that. You've got guys like Kurt Wise, a paleontologist, dealing with the fossil record and the history of life. Marcus Ross talking about this, a great paleontologist out of Liberty. We look at um, the soft tissue in dinosaurs. There's a guy like um, Kevin Anderson, a microbiologist who actually was part of the process with Mark Armitage discovering this soft tissue in a brow horn of a triceratops. So that's a great example. We start talking about the layers. We move to radioisotopes. We end in that section talking about something that couldn't have lasted 65 million years, and that's soft tissue, which is now common to find that you can break open dinosaur bones and in Mark Armitage's case, he found soft tissue just there, and it wasn't even decal- needed to de- be decalcified. So those are, that's one area. The next area we deal with, of course, is biology. Dr. Todd Wood and Rob Carter, um, marine biologist and a biochemist, discussing the nature of life and that really you don't see lots of animals moving from one species to the next. You see a, all these, basically an orchard of life. Um, Rob Carter talking about the complexity of the genome. I mean, these are things that are all around us uh, with the finally talking about guys like Danny Faulkner, the astronomer, talking about the the questions about light uh, and how long has the light been traveling. Um, Archaeologists like Doug Petrovich talking about uh, Babel. And then, of course, can't forget our biblicist. You've got a guy like Steve Boyd discussing the text itself and a guy like Paul Nelson discussing philosophy. These are so many different guys. We had to pack them in. Oh my goodness. To get it all in there. But there's a, and there's, Hey, we left a lot out of the film that, you know, there's just so much to say. Comments from Thomas Purifoy here on the intersection. Learn more by going to the website is Genesis Business and media leader Steve Green joined me at CBA Unite 2017 to discuss principles related to the subject matter for the book Love Leads, The Spiritual Connection Between Your Relationships and Productivity. From that conversation, this is Steve Green. The Lord expects us to lead others. That whatever you have, he wants to give it away. 
He doesn't give you any gift that he doesn't expect that you would give it away through your influence, through the impact that your life has had, your ministry, is because of what you've learned, how you've been taught, and what you do to give it away. And that's really what the essence of my book is, to help people understand that love is a gift from God. He gives it to us so that we give it away. How, how dare me lead someone without love? That, that's a consistent message throughout my book. What happens when we do attempt to lead without allowing the Lord to lead us, i.e. in his love? Again, a great question. We just become flesh-like. You know, we battle hmm. the flesh every place else. You know, I, I, hmm. I battle to remain in the kingdom of God and all that I do, all that I look at, all that I allow myself to think about. I've got to battle that flesh. So in the same way that I lead, I have to suppress the flesh and lead by the Spirit. I want to be known as someone who leads by the Spirit and to work at it, to effort, to pray before I lead, to pray before a day starts, to pray throughout the day, to pray the Lord's Prayer as a leader, to to help me to impact others in a way that's pleasing to God. So practically speaking, what does that look like? What are some characteristics of this Spirit-led, Spirit-inspired, infused, Christ-loving type of leadership? Okay, so you want me to be practical now, huh? Get out of the theory? <laughs> Get my feet out of the theoretical Not that world. you weren't being practical before. <laughs> I understand your You question. gave us some stuff you could, that we can use, yes. <laughs> Here's practical. Ask more questions, make fewer statements. Okay. Uh, people who love want to know more. I want to seek information before I start drawing conclusions. I'd like to lead you by influence rather than power and by my authority. I don't want to be... Uh, someone who's autocratic and I have my fingers in my ear as I lead. I want to listen to you. I want to be impacted to a place where the comments I have for you, the instruction I have for you is going to be based on what I hear from you, that we're going to communicate better. We're going to talk a lot more. In my questioning, when I ask questions of people that I lead, I'll find out how to talk with them. We want to lead our way to helping people grow as opposed to impart it, to make it, to impose my will upon someone. That's not leadership. I know that the development of leadership skills, that is something that is greatly promoted in our culture today. And it's a, a good thing, but it seems like there's, there's also that element that you can, you know, you have your own skill set. You have your own leadership skills. But when you're dealing with another person, you have to really involve their own leadership skills or their own skills in general and be able to lead them in order to produce the, I guess, to produce the results that are desired for the entity that you're leading. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. It's my subtitle there. Why don't you read that? Because you read better. Your voice is better to listen to. <laughs> read that subtitle to them. Do you want to do, do I do the, the, yes. the radio voice, the spirit, this just in <laughs> the spiritual connection between your relationships and productivity. Yes. How's that? It's re- yes, it's marvelous. You, That's my radio. Yeah. Yes. My radio voice. It's, it's got such impact. It's booming across you're, the country. You're, you're, you're too kind. <laughs> it's relationships, isn't it, brother? Yeah. We lead by relationships, not by autocracy or some autocratic mandate. That if we have relationships, I want to lead people. I, I, I can be tough, if that's the word you want to use. We can have strength. But the, the importance is to lead people to do the right systems, to be system-minded, strong on systems, soft on people. Love people, demand systems be followed. And 
I can be lovingly demanding, mm. right, without causing offense, without hurting someone. That if my words and my body language and my efforts hurt people, then I need work. I need a lot of help. I need the Lord to show me how to lead a little softer, soft on people, tough on standards. Steve Green here on The Intersection. The book's website is loveleadsbook.com. His site is Dr. That's D-R, Steve Green with an E on the end, drstevegreen.com. Also joining me at CBA Unite 2017 was the founder and publisher of Redemption Press, Athena Dean Holtz. She shared some elements of her life story, including spiritual brokenness, as well as God's faithfulness to her. She has written the book, Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. From that CBA Unite conversation, this is Athena Dean Holtz. I think the defining moment for me was asking the question, what did I do to open the door to be deceived into thinking the truth was, a lie was the truth and and being willing to give up everything for it. And to be able to say, I played a part in that. I couldn't just be the victim. Yes, what they did was wrong. Yes, that was spiritual abuse. Yes, it was deception. Yes, it was fraud. But what did I do to open myself up to that? How, why was I vulnerable? And that was the best question I could have asked because then I was no longer the victim. I was willing to take responsibility and my healing just expedited immensely because I was willing to ask that question. I saw that I didn't even know scripture. I didn't know the difference between scripture in context and out of context. And as believers, we better know, you know, someone can use the scripture to justify just about anything. <laughs> and, but if you go, well, wait a minute, what's before that? And what's after that? And what's the context? And who's he talking to? And, you know, I didn't know to ask those questions. So I was vulnerable there. But then I made those vows. I had those wounds that, that were undealt with. And, you know, I, I mean, the editor actually said to me, don't publish this guy's book. But I didn't want to hear that. Because... I had I already figured out all the bills I was going to pay, and they'd already said, well, you know, if somebody doesn't like this message, they don't really love God, so don't, don't have anything to do with them. So I'd already drank the Kool-Aid right early on like that. And that's one thing about Christians. We are so gullible because we want to believe the best of everyone. And so we don't bother to go, maybe I should, like, pray about this and maybe not just because the person quotes scripture and says they're a Christian, believe that they are. Hmm. Have you found that there are some general principles with respect to teaching or, or ministry or church activities that might be good red flags for believers with regard to, to ministries or, or people that might not be teaching what's in line with God's Word? Anytime someone says to you, I have found something that no one else knows. No one else has figured this out. I got it. Mm. And mm-hmm. so that, what does that do? It appeals to your pride, first of all, because then you go, ooh, I'm like in with the people who really know the stuff. So I'm, I got the inside track. So that's, that's a absolute run as fast as you can. Um, when the leader is not willing to be accountable or questioned if you if you're if you are made if you are shamed when you ask a question with a scripture like don't you know don't touch God's anointed or you know there's all sorts of scriptures that pastors that don't want to be held accountable for the words that they say 
or their actions, they'll use certain scriptures out of context to get you to, to silence you. If that's going on, run as fast as you can. If you're, if they use Luke 14, 26 and talk about hating your family and you know how you need to, if they're idolaters, you need to have nothing to do with them. When they start quoting those kinds of scriptures, run as fast as you can. Mm. So those are, I think, some key things that it happens a lot. It's not just to the extreme, like my experience. There's a lot of churches where the leader is a toxic leader, and they are not accountable to anyone, and they will manipulate the congregation into giving or doing whatever he wants to further his agenda, using scriptures out of context. Athena Dean Holtz here on The Intersection. You can learn more by visiting her website, athenadeanholtz.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the download center through which you can listen to or download full conversations from recent guests featured here on The Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. It is released on a weekly basis. There's also The Front Room, featuring devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also, including content from the 2017 CBA Unite event in Cincinnati. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Andy Bowersox is co-founder and executive director of Energize Ministries, and he reported to me recently from the Pray for Your Pastor tour. Traveling the southeast United States, it made several stops in the Montgomery, Alabama area, as well as other cities throughout the region. Here now from that bus tour is Andy Bowersox. We're sort of wrapping up our summer Pray for Your Pastor tour, but you ask me why we do it, and and those of you that follow along with our ministry, you know that we're we're all about providing direct care for pastors and, and their families and other church leadership. But the bigger picture for us is really engaging, sort I would say, sort of uh, you know educating, engaging, and equipping the body of Christ at large to be more actively investing in the lives of their leadership. And part of that is to continue to grow what we call an army of believers that are committed to preventive care and prayer support. And so a few years ago, I, you know, I'm the director of Energized Ministries, and I just felt like the Lord was just sort of giving me a crazy thought of, uh, of taking this bus and wrapping it up with a big pray for your pastor message and, uh, and some other little reminders of, of how, we can be, how we can be practically you know, investing in the lives of our leadership. And so, so we, the first year we did this, we went on a coast-to-coast tour we visited with stations like yours. We did some, we did some television interviews along the way. Then most of it is literally stopping in at churches that we get recommended to or somehow we, we have connections through and, and just dropping off some gifts. We try and give them some words of encouragement there, let them know that we're working and advocating on their behalf. And then, uh, and then we sort of huddle up and pray. And, uh, and we'll ask for, for God's blessing and anointing over that church, for, for a spirit of protection and, and provision and power to come through their ministries. And uh, we, we go from one to another. And so each year it's a little different. We, we've, since, the, since the first Coast to Coast tour, we now have broken it up into different geographical areas. 
And you're right. This is our year to cover the southeast, and it's been hot and humid, but uh, but we've been enjoying it. We've seen God do some amazing things, and uh, we're looking forward to getting back home and to get back to the office too. And Andy, this is very impressive. In fact, I'm on your Facebook page even now and looking at a picture of that big bus that says Pray for Your Pastor Tour on the side, Energize Ministries. You say you have the opportunity as you go from city to city to to actually stop in and, and chat with some people who are on staff, who are doing God's work in ministry and leadership at various churches. How have you been received in doing this? <laughs> well, you know, I have a couple of thoughts about it. First of all, it never ceases to amaze me to realize that, you know, when you're part of the body of Christ, it really is a family. And there's, we're so connected, you know, ministry, if you, if you, I, I, when I, when I get to speak about what it's like to fight, you know, to fight for the fight for the gospel. Okay, Paul calls it a fight. It's a it's a it is a battlefield there. But when you're in that battle, unless you're fighting on those front lines, you don't really understand uh, how this how vital and necessary are the words of encouragement, the reminders, the ability to feel like there are people that are reinvesting and sort of refilling your pitcher. Right? You you can't be pouring out all the time. You don't really get that. And so when we, you know, we, we try and express that, we try and share inspirational stories and encouraging stories with others to help them sort of understand that dynamic. But when we show up at these churches, and some of them are planned, a lot of them are unplanned, but when we show up there on their behalf, it's nothing but smiles and gratitude. And, and honestly, there's so many places I feel like we, we are the ones receiving the blessing. You know, we're there to encourage them, to support them, to remind them that, you know, there are other people that are praying for them that they don't even know, right? And I mean, I've, I've had I've had experiences where we've been at churches and the pastor will say, you know, in 35 years of my ministry, no one's ever come on this campus just to pray for me. It's always the other direction. And uh, just yesterday, we, we were down at uh, at another church further further over in Louisiana, and uh, and that church, you know, the, the girls came running out of the park before we came, came in. She said, I don't know what you're doing here, but we really need this right now. So, you know, the, truly the, the Bible says that the Lord goes before us. And that has been our plan, or not our plan, that's been our experience uh, almost every time that we do these trips. Andy Bauer Sox here on The Intersection. Learn more about the ministry by going to energizeministries.com. The intersection continues now with Orlando area pastor Jeff Dixon, who visited the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at CBA's International Convention, Unite 2017 in Cincinnati. He discussed how Disney is integrated into his ministry and writings. He's written the Key to the Kingdom fiction series set at Walt Disney World, as well as the book The Disney Driven Life, Inspiring Lessons from Disney History. From that CBA Unite conversation, this is Jeff Dixon. It began to dawn on me that when you go to a Disney theme park, uh, one of the things that happens is that even before you get there, the experience begins. And so as a, as, as a guy who does church, I became aware of the fact that before people walk in the door, what do they see? And so they, they, they go to the Internet. They go to your web presence. And are the colors bright? Uh, does it look easy to understand? Is it easy to navigate? Is it very user-friendly? Because it, you, you actually open the door even before people get there. 
And then once they get there, how do you draw people in and how do you draw, draw people in deeper? How do you make it easy for people to find where they need to go? How do you dis- help them discover what they're looking for without feeling uh, like they're invading space, uh, that they've entered a private club? How do you make them feel like a guest, a wanted guest, hmm. as opposed to a visitor? And, 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 and so all of those elements that Disney does so well, it dawned on me, you know, the church ought to be doing that. Because ultimately, Disney's trying to get you in and draw you in to tell you the story. Whatever story or narrative they want you to hear, that's what they're trying to do. And we've been doing that in the church for a long time. Disney just does it better. Yeah. Because you remember the stories that Disney tells. But sometimes what I say, people, by the time lunch is over, they've forgotten what I talked about 30 <laughs> minutes ago. So. so you're going to start using animation in your services, right? <laughs> we'll do anything to get people's attention and tell the story. Yeah, so no doubt. Well, Walt Disney obviously has a, a wonderful reputation of people are aware of, of his life. He was someone who was very creative. Mm-hmm. Of course, if, you, if you've read a biography, and I know you know the story, uh, he was someone who was very driven, mm-hmm. uh, someone very passionate. But, you know, you look at the results and you see that, that Walt Disney really carved out a form of, what was at the time, groundbreaking family entertainment. Elaborate on that, if you would, going back to really the the original philosophy of Walt Disney. Okay. I think one of the things that's lost, especially with the Disney empire as it sits today, is that people forget that for Walt, it was never about money. Uh, Walt uh, was upfront about that. He said, the only reason I need money is to do the things I want to do, mm. which is where Roy stepped in. Um, and Roy kind of kind of helped guide and keep his hand on that because Walt would spend every dime to do what he wanted to do. And if you go back and look closely at Walt's life, um, he proves that out because he uh, risked everything that he owned to go uh, to Hollywood. He risked everything he owned to go into film business. Uh, you know, he went bankrupt three different times uh, when he decided it was time to build a theme park. I mean, he mortgaged his life insurance policies, his home. He personally indebted it when they didn't have the money to build some of the stuff he wanted to build with the company. He started another company that he personally became responsible for that ultimately became Disney Imagineering that was called Wet Law or Wet Enterprises. And he, so I mean, Walt was always using whatever resources he had to do what he wanted to do next. And I think that sometimes, you know, we think, you know, Disney is a profit-driven company because it certainly is today. But the difference is that there was one guy that was pushing it. And so in everything that he was wanting to do, he was trying to push the limits and be creative and tell some story that he felt passionate about uh, that I think that we've lost sight of today because we kind of look back over history and just go, well, it was just so easy for him. It wasn't. He was all in, mm-hmm. and he was vested in what he was doing. And, it was, and I think that's one of the reasons it drove the passion. Well, before we take a break, let, let me have you imagine for a moment Walt Disney alive today. He comes back, steps into the corporate offices, steps into the theme park, takes a look at some of the films that that the company bearing his name has produced mm-hmm. what would what do you think how do you think Walt Disney would respond to what his company has become that's a great question very fair question too um, I think in a lot of ways he would just be he would be very pleased because again Walt was an innovator so all the new technologies all of the new ride uh, capabilities mm. all of those things I think he would have been all over I think he'd been testing the limits of every type of entertainment that's out there. Um, and I think the thing about Walt is he was very much about family entertainment. And we remember that Walt, you know, comes from the, from the 30s, um, you know, passed away in the 60s. So the American family looked really different in those days than it does today. And so I think because of that as well, Walt is a, um, a guy that, that probably would have 
like everybody else, had to evolve and figure out what the American family was going to be like next, what it would have looked like. And I think that would have probably been not only a struggle point, but probably something where he would have emerged again as a leader and trying to meet and hit um, the changing, changing face of an American family. Um, and so I think parts he would like a lot, some parts, meh, maybe not so much. But again, he knew his audience very, very well, and he was always trying to hit the audience. Mm. Jeff Dixon here on The Intersection. Learn more at DixonOnDisney.com or KeyToTheKingdomBook.com. The Intersection continues now with Mark Meckler, president of the organization Citizens for Self-Governance, which has the Convention of States Project. He shared information on his organization and discussed his own personal faith and how it informs his approach to policy. Also in our recent conversation, he commented on news stories that he sees are unreported or underreported in the mainstream media. From that conversation, this is Mark Meckler now. Obviously, the greatest blessing one can receive in one's life is, is to be saved and and when I started in politics eight years ago, I was not a believer. Uh, I was, in fact, raised a secular Jew in Los Angeles, California. Had a lot of friends who were believers, uh, but I just wasn't. I just wasn't raised that way. I was never introduced to it in a way that was, was of interest to me. Went through a series of transformations through my life, grew up, got a little bit wiser, was a little bit of a seeker, went through a period of really what I would describe as even militant atheism. And when I came to politics, I was more open. I'd gotten older. My wife has always been a believer. We've been married 23 years now. And from traveling around the country doing politics all over the country, as I've had the opportunity to do, I met a lot of incredible people. And every time I met somebody who really impressed me, and I would start to dig in and, and try to figure out why are they the way they are? Why am I so impressed with this person? It was not necessarily people who were famous or people who were successful or wealthy. It was a certain stature personally, a, a peace of mind, the way they walked their walk. And, and what I found invariably is these are people who had a relationship with Christ. And I was just impressed. And to me, that's I've learned since that's the truest form of evangelism. That's what we're called on to do. And I met all these great men and women, and I would just fall in love with them as people and realize, well, the reason I feel the way I feel about them is because their relationship with Christ, and they're reflecting that outwardly into the world. And so became very attracted to that. Um, I'm, I'm a very methodical, analytical person, so I started reading scripture under tutelage of some of my new friends, and uh, I read a lot of uh, apologetics. Lee Strobel was really important to me, reading Case for Christ. Um, and then I really started to dig into scriptures and Hebrews and understand the history. Uh, this is really important, by the way, as a, a Jewish Christian, understanding the history of Judaism and Christianity how that all came to be and, and how this quote-unquote separation took place. And the more I understood, eventually there was no real epiphany, Bob. I just came to one day, and it didn't make sense not to believe anymore. I've wow. told that story a bunch of times. I wish I could tell you there's a blinding flash of light, and I felt the Spirit flow through me. I just got to this point where everybody, I think, has to do this on their walk of faith. I had to take that leap of faith. I had to say, I just, it just doesn't make sense to me not to believe anymore. So I became a believer. That's about four years ago now. I'm 55 years old. That came to me because of politics. What an incredible blessing that the Lord used politics to, to reach for my salvation. It's just an incredible gift. We don't hear. And there's a, a tremendous, I believe, lack of understanding about the system of government and the foundations of it. So when you hear, hear people talking about the Constitution that don't recognize the principles upon which the Constitution is based, there's a real disconnect there. And I think that the, the media, obviously, they are a group of people that 
that really don't represent an understanding of the Constitution and our system of government. Yeah, and I, I might take it even one step further, Bob. I think they're enemies of that system, and they, even if they do understand it, their intent is to undermine it. They don't mm. like it. Uh, look, the, the Bible gives us some absolutes, right? That's what it's about. That's the, the true Word of God. It tells us what is and what is not, what's good and what's bad, what's just and what's unjust. And for rel- moral relativists, which I would say most people in the media are moral relativists, yeah. We've, we have yeah. a culture that's based on that nowadays. And so they don't like the idea that there are actually absolutes, that there actually are good and evil things in the world, that, that that fight has been going on for all eternity. And so they're trying to undermine our system and to create a new system. I would argue that it comes out of Marxism. Marxism itself is, is inherently anti-Christian, anti-religious. That's what the media is trying to push on us. That's certainly what the cultural left is trying to push on us today. Mark Meckler here on The Intersection. You can go to conventionofstates.com or visit selfgovern.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Austin Ruse, president of the Center for Family and Human Rights, or CFAM. In our conversation, he discussed instances where presumed scientific information is not based on fact, as he relates in the book, Fake Science exposing the left's skewed statistics, fuzzy facts, and dodgy data. Here now is Austin Ruse. You know, in my work uh, with CFAM, uh, we, uh, we, we work on life and family matters at the UN, the Organization for American States, and, you know, at uh, various places around the world, and certainly in the public square, you, you frequently come across the notion that certain ideas are settled, certain scientific ideas are settled. And uh, I know better than that in, in the work that I do. And, and so it occurred to me that we, we, we hear this across, gosh, almost every single issue that we're debating in, in the public square these days. And so uh, Regnery asked me to write a book about it. And so I looked at 11 different issue areas, you know, from marriage and family and the sexual revolution, uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, but also things like uh, 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 hunger and poverty, uh, genetically modified foods, um, global warming, fracking, and uh, in every single one of them there is a left-wing scientific narrative which is generally false. And so the book explores uh, these false ideas and tries to show folks what the science really says. Well, and when we take a position, say, that is pro-life or a position that is consistent with the biblical definition of marriage, we are accused of being, well, intolerant, anti-science. It seems like that when people of faith take a stand on various issues, for some reason this whole word science comes comes to the fore and we're accused of being unscientific when something that I have found myself saying again and again when we look at science. Science actually is something that is more consistent with what we see in the scriptures than than what people would have you believe. Authentic science tends to agree with the conclusions of those who are politically conservative and, and even uh, religious. Um, you know, uh, think back to a few years ago when we were debating uh, embryonic stem cell research. We, we were called anti-science. I mean, consistently anti-science, mm-hmm. Luddites, you're against progress, so on and so forth. And we said that there are certain things that you cannot do, and one of them is, is to sacrifice a human being, that is to say, a human uh, child in embryonic form 
uh, for the advancement of science. Um, and what we have seen over the years is there haven't been any cures or treatments based on embryo destructive research, even though they've gone ahead with the research. And what we have seen is tons of treatments and cures based on uh, adult stem cell research. So who's anti-science? Certainly not us. Uh, and we're told this now repeatedly on all these questions, that, that we are anti-science. Well, in fact, what we have found is the, is the left is fake science. And the, the fake science is more dangerous than fake news. Fake news can be ephemeral, ephemeral, here today, gone tomorrow, knocked down by another narrative. But fake science can lodge in the American psyche, can lodge in the heart and mind, and it's hard to get it out. Um, so fake science is profoundly dangerous and harms the credibility of science, which is something that we desperately need. The most shocking piece of science that you expose in this book, so-called science. Well, it, it, it's, it's the scandal in peer review. Um, you know, you, you'll hear, it like, if you're making an argument about something and you cite a particular paper, a paper by Dr. Paul McHugh and, and Dr. Lawrence Mayer on transgenderism, and somebody may say, well, that's, that's, that didn't appear in a peer-reviewed journal. That appeared in the New Atlantis. And, and so you, you have to understand that peer review itself is a, is a very big problem these days. There's outright fraud in the peer review process. The peer review process often misses very important papers. A number of later Nobel Prize winners did not have their papers accepted in peer reviewed journals. So the most shocking thing to me is, 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 the, is how science itself has fallen down in, in policing itself. The Amgen people in California uh, tried to replicate 57 landmark studies in biomedical research and were not able to do that. Replication is, an, is a central aspect of, of scientific inquiry, yet these landmark studies have been repeated dozens and hundreds of times in other journals. So, so the most shocking thing is not any particular issue, but the fact that peer review has gone off the rails in many instances. That, that was the most shocking mm. thing. Austin Ruse here on The Intersection. The organization's website is c-bam.org. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. There at the homepage, you will find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also get subscribed to the Intersection and have it delivered weekly to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and comments from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. You can get connected to video content, including content from the CBA Unite event held in Cincinnati. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me here on this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.